What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And joining us again today is returning special guest, quality assurance manager, <laughs> Jared Livingston. He's back in the house. What's up, Jared? And the very best at that. He's assuring the quality of the Inking Out Loud podcast today. Yeah, yeah. Now, oh, God. That, that's a lot of pressure. I on, don't know. Yeah, I know. Well, it's really not that much pressure. I mean, it's just the Inking Out Loud podcast. You could probably do that with half a year at this point. <laughs> On this 99th episode of Inking Out Loud, we're 99 now, guys. We continue on our trek through the Books of Glittering Stone, diving now into Bleak Seasons, sixth of the Chronicles of the Black Company. Drew, let's get that weekly recap from you, please, because I... For one, really needed. Yeah, this, and this now, book is wild. My drink. Um, so, uh, we are leaving behind Lady as an analyst, and we are now with Murga. And Bleak Seasons mostly follows two narratives. Uh, Murgan's past and Murgan's present. But also, maybe not totally Murgan's present. Maybe a little <laughs> bit before Murgan's present. <laughs> Uh -huh. um, in his past, we get to see the siege of Dejigore from the inside. Uh, in Dreams of Steel, you know, we got we got to see the landscape, the lay of of the armies and everything, and and how the siege was broken from the outside, from Lady's point of view. And here with Mergen, we find out all all the gritty details about what went on in Dejigore, including the pact created between the Black Company old crew and the Nyung Bao. Uh, a, a pilgrim people who got stuck in the city at a very, very inopportune time. We find out just about how uh, Mogaba fell from grace, how he basically went crazy during the siege and ended up uh, siding with the Shadow Masters. In the present time, or the more present time, we know that Mergen is married to Sara or Sarie, as he calls her, uh, sort of a pet name, uh, the granddaughter of one of the Nyungbao leaders. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, they're, they're, you know, the Black Company's doing their thing, planning their war, and then boom, a deceiver attack hits the palace in Taglios, and Taidei, uh, Sara's brother, uh, loses his son in the attack, and Sara herself is killed. And at the end here, we are left with uh, full steam ahead for the invasion of the Shadowlands. Croker is angry, Lady is angry, Mergen is furious, the Young Bao are pissed off, and everything is cranking up. The gears are turning, the machine of war is heading south. Locked and loaded. Yeah. So. Heading south to Overlook. Yep. Okay. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm having some comprehension yeah, difficulties. Where a, uh, uh, an earthquake did some serious damage at the end there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> writing style. I have, a dis I have a disclaimer to start with our writing style discussion here. Um, and yes, I know what everyone's thinking. Oh, God. Rob's got another disclaimer. He's going to spend the next five minutes bitching. You're totally right. I actually, I absolutely am. Um, <laughs> we've arrived at a point that I dreaded reaching. 
the point where I have to break it to my good friend Drew McCaffrey that I think I hate these f books. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time entertaining the notion that eventually they would really grow on me. And, so, and in some ways they have. I can't deny that Cook has a, a, a masterful spin of poetic prose when he chooses to employ it. One of my many problems, however, is that he just, this seems like he never chooses to commit to that. He chooses constantly to write in the voices of his characters. And while I can admit that's an incredible talent in and of itself, I can't admit that I really like any of these particular voices. It's just a matter of personal taste. It's not a condemnation as a writer. Um, but I spent the vast majority of this book lost, confused, grinding my teeth at times, and I will admit right now that perhaps, likely, uh, more than perhaps, my opinion has been spoiled three times. First, in that this is a first read, obviously I could return someday and find redeeming qualities on a reread that I was either, you know, too preoccupied or too ignorant to notice the first time. Second, I was, again, I was working a lot of hours this week, and Rather than spending the few hours I have to myself reading a book that may put me to sleep, if I'm being honest, I use my time at work, no less, to knock this one out via audiobook. And it's that's normally really convenient to do, even at half speed. And I have about a dozen audible credits to spend because they're going to be expiring soon. This is a tough one. reading a book for the first time. And this is a tough book to audio, do the first time. It, that's a... It's a terrible thing to do if reading comprehension is my primary goal. So listening on audio is probably a major factor in my difficulty with this as well as a, you know, as a first time read. The last thing, third, is how that time at work was spent. Just for some context, <laughs> I used to have a lot of time alone at work while welding. But since I've been at the shop for eight or nine years now, I'm one of the few guys that can run every machine in there. And so I spend a lot of time working with new trainees and using machines that are super dangerous, right? For reasons that I won't really get into at the moment and trying to explain to them how to treat these machines with care with a bit of a language barrier on top of that. So I invite you to contemplate how much time I have managed this week to spend devoting myself to listening to a book that flips me over and back and forward and back and forward and far back and forward again. Oh, it does. So, How much do you hate Bergen? <clears throat> I will endeavor to provide my honest opinion, but I will also start off by admitting that it's not absorbed under ideal circumstances. <laughs> so don't take my complaints too seriously. I'm just a dude today who struggled with the book. That said, I will also say that my comprehension was definitely enough to f nail the final draft. Ooh. Just you wait till Ooh. you see what I brought. I featured it before, but only once. Interesting. But... It will Intrigued. be interesting. Yes. So, I had problems with this book. That's my disclaimer. I will hand it off to you guys to dive into the style discussion proper. I have three tiny points to go on, but now that I've been talking for five minutes, you guys can step so up. It was, What'd you think? Jared, go ahead. It was definitely the hardest for me since, I would say, the first half of uh, the first Black Company. Yep. Where... Yep. You really have to get used to it. And I think once you're in a rhythm, then it works. But coming in cold to it, it's really hard. Yeah. So I, I will freely admit here, uh, the first time I read this book, I had the same experience. I did not particularly like this book the first time. 
I okay. I uh, <laughs> like Jared just said, it was the most I struggled with it since the beginning of the first book when I was like, oh, this is a very different kind of writing style. This book is purposely confusing. <laughs> like, there are a lot of questions, not a lot of answers. There's just... I had a lot of... There, yeah, go ahead. There's only so much you can do just trying to write it from the perspective of inside a character's head before it becomes just bad to read. Hmm. Uh, what do you mean by yeah, that? It was a it was an outright struggle for me at times. I was wanting to turn it off and do something else, but I had to keep listening because the deadline was coming. Like, I think he's trying to emphasize the struggle that's going on within Mergen's head. Yeah. So, so this is where my, my style points, like I'm, I was really excited to talk about this book specifically because of the writing style. Because of all the books in the Black Company, I think this one has the most um, potential for literary analysis, like really critical literary analysis. This is a weird freaking book. Um, you know, obviously we have these diverging and converging uh, narratives popping in and out of time, literally, uh, and we don't really know why. On top of that, you know, as we said, we're in Mergen's head now. These are Mergen's annals. This dude is insane. Mergen is crazy. <laughs> well, like, hey, so like, specify though, he, like, how in what way? His his mind is broken by Dejagore. Okay, because I I still think like, like through the whole thing, I thought there was a magical reason for this, and that he's not as crazy as he thinks he well, is. Well, I mean, there is a magical reason. Like, obviously, he he's like having these. Oh, it depends on your definition of of crazy. You could be magically induced, perhaps. Um, well, I think it, there both things are going on. He he is traumatized by what happened in. Yeah, there's story. definitely PTSD. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. for sure. Um, it's all it's everywhere. Yeah. The... Mm -hmm. uh, like, his fractured state of mind comes out in the fractured narrative of this book. And we also see Glenn Cook doing the most experimental things he's ever done with point of view, where we have second-person point of view in this book now. Yeah, we do. That was one. Of, that was another one like, of my style discussion points. That's my next one. There, there's some really tough moments to wrap your head around. Even, even for me, where I've read this series now probably six or seven times, and I have a much greater appreciation for this book now than I did back then. I, I like this mm -hmm. book now, but it took a couple of times to read it before I was like, okay, I think I understand. This is a, this book reminds me a lot of Kane's Law, the fourth book in the Acts of Kane. Yes. Oh my God! I couldn't stop thinking about <laughs> Kane's Law the entire time. It's, it's this insane, like jumping back and forth in time. Things that may or may not have happened, may or may not have like changed how they happened. I mean, Mergen outright says at one point when he comes back, he's like, "I fell back to Dejagori, but there were things that happened that didn't happen last time." And you're like. What? You know? Um, it, 
and it becomes this like super avant-garde, almost like new weird fantasy blended with this is the most grim dark the Black Company gets. Like this is where we got some horrific things happening, and for the first time, we're actually seeing some some real descriptions of it. I mean, we get we get a little description of the like the blood sacrifice that Mogaba and the Nar are doing. You know, we have some pretty vivid descriptions of. You know, the night that uh, Mogaba broke open the gates to flood the city and like half the Nyung Bao quarter burned down and, and Mergen goes into the, into, you know, Kai Dam's, uh, uh, you know, kind of hovel and there's just like dead children everywhere. And I mean, it, it's, it's brutal, but it, it all comes together in a way that I'm not entirely certain fully works. Uh, This is, yeah, like this is the easiest Black Company book to criticize, I think, Uh, with the possible exception of the first one, because he just wasn't as polished a writer back then. He really knows his voice by this point. Glenn Cook is doing very Mm. deliberate things. That that reads very clearly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I feel like he's trying to be too clever in this one, and it just... Yeah, and that could be. I also agree. Yeah. I also agree. There's there's a bit of uh, narcissism to it. I think. I, I mean, I don't know about narcissism, but but I think there's you know any writer who who's like, look, I think I can pull this off. I think it'd be a lot of fun to pull this off. I'm going to try it. You know, there's there is also... an element of showing off almost, and and I think uh, there's one point. Um. Oh, uh, chapter thirty one. Cook gets really tongue-in-cheek, where Mergen starts talking about the previous analysts. Um, and and he's yeah. and he says, he's like, my books are not coming out so good. I don't always get stuff down the best way. In his time, when he was on the mark, Croker was really good. I can't help comparing my stuff to his. When he tried to be captain and analyst at the same time, his work suffered. And ladies' writing strikes me as too direct, too curt, and sometimes mildly self-indulgent. Neither was honest all the time, and neither considered trying to be consistent with the other, with their predecessors, or even with their own earlier selves. If you read either one closely and you spot some of their slips, neither will admit any screw-up. You know, and and he goes on a little bit, and then he ends up talking yeah. about what I... <laughs> yep. So, like, like, you've brought up one of my talking points... Uh, that I had for Mergen and and like like about the unreliable narrator and oh, how much can yeah. you really, how much can you really uh, critique a narrator who is that introspective himself and constantly comparing himself to the previous analysts? It's a really interesting dynamic. And coming out and specifically explicitly saying that there are inaccuracies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's, this was a good time for for uh, for Cook to do that as well. Yeah. Uh, because you've had enough time to, to question. You've had enough time to wonder that and to see that for yourself. Mm-hmm. So to come right out at this point and say it, yeah. My and, main and problem, uh, beyond that, my main problem with this one is that it felt like a lot of just setup. Like, I feel like it could have been 100 pages of the beginning of another novel. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. There, I mean... My, it's it's two hundred you know it's two hundred and seventy compendium pages of siege, and you know with some current timeline stuff mixed in. 
Yeah, and and yeah. the main thing, you know, that the book seems to be leading up to is, you know, the night, right? This there's this mystery. You're like, what is so terrifying that is hurt Cro or Mergen so badly that he like anytime he even starts thinking about it, he flinches away. You know, the whole house of pain thing. Remind you of anyone? You know, um, uh, not. Not totally, I, but I, that just occurred um, to me now. I'm not thinking. I'm not pretending that. But, I was keeping that in mind. As I but uh, we finally get to this scene where you know, like, we get the answers. We find out. Okay, this is the night Soulcatcher snuck in and broke into you know Smoke's uh, you know hidden room and stole the annals. The Deceivers got in. Totan got killed. Sara got killed. You know, a bunch of bunch of deceivers were out trying to assassinate things. Four volumes of the annals got burned, and now you know yeah, how. So the, the annals got burned, and, uh, which is a huge deal to And then you well. realize there's like eighty pages more book after this. What should be the climax, and what really narratively is the climax, takes place way too early in the book. And For sure. a lot of yep. the end of this book feels like Jared said set up and even to the point that I've read these many times and each time I reread bleak seasons I forget that all that stuff isn't at the beginning of she is the darkness <laughs> right like yeah. like the earthquake I always think of the earthquake as happening at the beginning of she is the darkness I always think really? of uh yeah yeah like and and Mergen's raid when he like steals back the the annals from from Soulcatcher I always think of that as happening at the beginning of she is the darkness that must be a hell of a book, then. She's the Darkness is a monster. It's a big book. There's a lot that happens. <laughs> a lot that happens. So. Just got some pipes running here. Got another five, ten seconds on uh, it. <laughs> but, but that said, I really like the story of what actually happened inside Dejigore. I think it was really cool that we got to see it. It was in a lot of ways, more compelling to me than what Lady was doing outside. Yeah. Uh, for me, there was more having, tension, for having sure. more context, yeah, for Mugabe and oh. his whole, like, turning, if that's what I want to call it, having more context for that and seeing it happen and witnessing it, you know, and seeing what really he did to that city. Yeah, uh, I did appreciate it a little bit for that. Yeah, that's, like, yeah. one of the, if not the best siege book I've ever read in terms of just, like, portraying the realities of a siege bleak seasons yeah we just don't need a full yeah. book of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i agree i agree i agree like that um, doesn't mean it's like bad writing i know because i feel so hesitant hesitant i should say to say that it's like oh god this is just drivel i'm sure there are so many people that love this i just i need another 10 years and several rereads <laughs> to really appreciate what it is that you guys find it. Yeah, you guys being Drew and those who are huge specifically fans. Um, is is one that uh, hindsight once you have the knowledge of the the final three books makes a lot more sense. Okay, cool, cool. Um, my last style point is just talking about these shorter chapters. I definitely yeah. noticed that. It made the book more digestible, more bite-sized. That was a stylistic choice, despite the fact that I had a lot of a lot to complain about on the stylistic front. This particular stylistic choice is one that I liked. Having these shorter chapters, it was pretty cool. And I do like Mergen's voice. I do like it. 
and I'll get into that when I when I start talking about Morgan himself. But that's the end of my style discussion. Yeah, that is an interesting point. This this book uh, has a hundred and one chapters in two hundred and seventy pages. <laughs> There's also a couple chapters when he's whatever whatever you want to call it transitioning. Yeah, where he splits. There's like a couple sentences mm -hmm. per chapter. Yeah. Yep. Now, now, now! Imagine you're listening to the audiobook, and you're not following <laughs> yeah, along quite because yeah. you're trying to because your boss comes up to you and he's like, "Hey, are you cutting these pieces down to the right size?" And you try to press the the, the audiobook pause, and you miss the button, so you just nod your head, yeah, but you got to go back and rewind. Oh God, it was a it was a confusing yeah. week. And and you know, in Glenn Cook's defense, he told us right off the bat what this was going to be. Fragments. How so? All around fragments okay. of my work, my life, Shards my love, time. and my pain scattered in this bleak season and in the darkness. Shards of time. <laughs> You've read I that before, too. I recognized that when I heard that. I was like, Drew has read this to that me That opening page. It is my all-time favorite opening page of any book I have ever read. <laughs> it is pretty good. Uh, you know what? Uh, okay. Okay, these, especially with these second-person point of view. Drew, you brought this up mm -hmm. earlier. The timbre, the prose, the sheer wordsmithing at play here. It did get me so stoked to open this book up and read those. Just like the Book of Lady did. Cook still nailed this opening. And it lasted for a few whole chapters this time. Of course, that could be because they are a lot shorter. Uh... But, you know, then after these few, these first few viewpoints, it all just went goddamn wild. And it started switching timelines <laughs> back and forth, unpredictable, spending 75% of the book before it decided to carry on forward in the clear way. And I was like, oh, Yeah, God, if, if you like recall last week when you, you were like, oh, so we're going to see Mergen's story inside the siege. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but... No, also other things. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I, I will admit also, if you pay very close attention to, to the tone of my voice last week, I was a little disappointed to hear that. I was like, oh, God, the Book of Lady ended so powerfully that I wanted to go straight forward. I didn't want to spend another 200 pages in the sea. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, God, I just want to go forward. I want to see what this year of the skulls is that the lady promises. And I was you know? glad we did get some of that early on. You know, we got the, the raid on the Grove of bit. Doom. Just enough we to got, you know, those show scenes you that with, it's like, coming. Big Bucket and Lady fighting the Howler's forces, yep. you know, on the front lines. Um, we got to see the Daughter of Night, who is real creepy. Um, right, which I think is was a great choice for Cook to put in there because it showed me that's like okay, you can keep reading forward, you will get something, yes. right? Instead of oh god, this is yeah, it just yeah, wasn't but, enough. Yeah, I think I think yeah. you you are very right in that this book is one that builds up a lot of promises but doesn't fulfill many of them. Uh, it, it's it's all saying like next book, we'll get there next book, you know, um, and and I can. At a certain level, I understand why he did it, because clearly Glenn Cook doesn't like writing long books. Like, if you look at his catalog, he doesn't have very many books that are longer than, like, 300, 350 pages. I don't think he has a single one longer than 500. Um, and and She is the Darkness is is a big book. It, it probably is the longest book he's written. Uh, maybe one of the... Like instrumentalities of the night books, or uh, uh, no, I, I feel like I feel like she's the darkness is probably the longest book he's written, um, and 
and I can understand why he's like, no, you know, I got to break this storyline up into two books. Otherwise it's just out of control, you know? Hmm. Um, but, but I don't think bleak seasons perfectly works as a result of that. Okay. That's fair enough. And I, and as I understand when I was doing my research beforehand, bleak seasons, I think had the longest, uh, wait for, uh, a book in the black company. I believe so. Yes. There was a... It was something like five years. Uh, yeah, six, like some sort of Reddit six years, post or I think. Comment. Um, right. yeah. yeah. And the rest of them were shorter than that. So so many people had been waiting for bleak seasons, waiting for a continuation of the story from the Book of Lady. And then when they finally got that story, years and years later, it was mostly <laughs> it was like flashback or just further context, flash sideways, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, and then I just have one last style point. And that is, this book is the most overt with pointing out inconsistencies. Um, There are... With the narrative voice? There are just details. Um, You know, like, in that that quote that I read earlier where Mergen was comparing himself to previous analysts, uh, a little bit further on, he talks about how uh, Croker says it's 800 miles to overlook and lady says it's 400 and lays is 400 yeah yeah um and then there are things like this where uh mergen is talking about mogaba and mogaba says there is nothing in your books he meant the annals croker tried hard to get him to study them croker was big on looking for and deferring to precedent on the other hand mogaba lacked no confidence whatsoever he always had an excuse not to study company history only recently had it occurred to me that he might not read or write in the last book, Lady talks about how Mogaba worships the annals, and everything Mogaba does comes out of the annals. I don't remember that. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, things like that. Uh, and, and we're going to see it um, a little bit going forward with, uh, with Sleepy. Mergen's portrayal of Sleepy, just basic details. He says Sleepy yeah. is sh- Shadar. Sleepy is actually Vedna. Like... Little really? details as like far that. As like religious? Yeah, yeah. So oh. there's there are things like that that start really popping up in Mergen's book, uh, where it, it becomes more overt that we're not dealing with a reliable narrator here, and it helps that Mergen outright says at the beginning he's like, I don't think I'm totally sane. <laughs> you know. Well, yeah. I think anybody remotely sane would question their sanity going through what he's been going through regardless of time shifting yeah yeah so so that's my last style point so speaking of mergen shall we dive into our characters and start with mergen let's do it jared anything for style before we do nope okay so mergen um i said it uh during my opening rant mergen's particular voice as it started it that was a voice that i fell into right away it had a flavor of the familiar to it I think it was really appropriate that he constantly compared himself to Croker at every possible opportunity because he's great in a lot of the same ways. I wasn't expecting to get this personal, though, with the guy. I had no idea that I would grow attached to people like the Nguyen Bao. I wasn't expecting to love Sari or cheer for Uncle Doge or hate Mother Gota or oh, Toton, you know? I may like I may have been kind of bored with the setting just because I wanted it to go forward, but I was totally engaged with the characters, and I love this fact that throughout the entire uh, arc of Mergen in this book, if you will, 
I th- we kept returning to his turnip seeds, and yeah. his like <laughs> parsnip seeds and his potato seeds. Yep. I don't know if those are all correct. I just I really really want Morgan to have this exotic farming <laughs> happily ever after. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, I, I I liked you know like when Otto and Hagop got back, you know. And they're like, yeah, Mergen, we got your turnips. <laughs> we got your seed potatoes. <laughs> we got it. And like, they, had to, they had to keep saying it. They had to keep saying it, too. Yeah, Mergen I, does I, have a, like a more casual and intimate... Um, he's got a more casual voice and a more intimate perspective. Mergen spends a lot more time about war, like what's going on with Mergen in his annals yeah. than Croker call does. it like raw. Yeah. Um, I really like then, how much he, he talks to the reader. Yeah. Um, and, and and there is a question um, in these second person scenes. Is this Mergen? Well, yeah, I assumed it was since we're in the. Why wouldn't it be Mergen? This would. Uh, but Mergen talks about how he goes back and he can't remember anything, and that there's this faceless person who's introducing him and showing him around Dejagore. And at the end here, we're we're pretty sure it's Soulcatcher, who's who's screwing with him this way. So is that your argument that Soulcatcher is writing the second person? No, no, he, he he is transliterating what he was told by Soulcatcher when he went back. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that he wakes up from this and he's like, I, because because what we're reading here is what he's writing after the annals burned. Right. That's just it begs the question, like when when he's so out of it, how can he remember so clearly and concisely? So now we're dealing with an unreliable narrator taking direction from an unreliable narrator. And using <laughs> smoke. He's using smoke smoke the wizard to go yeah. back and check on things. To like yeah. make sure he's getting his details right in insofar as you can trust smoke, you know. <laughs> uh <laughs> It, but yeah. but it I makes love it the worse. voice. Ugh. I love the voice in the second person. Yes. You know, I hey like there. It. Welcome to the city of the dead. Don't no. mind those guys uh, that, staring. That really, uh, let me tell you, let me tell you, on audiobook, <laughs> that was a really surreal experience because you were so f***ing bummed out at that point. <laughs> that was like one of the lowest of the low points of the audiobook. It, it was so low. It was so depressing. And then suddenly that that excited tone was like... It felt wrong. Yep. It felt like, and it's supposed know. to. It, you have to listen to the audiobook to to appreciate. Yeah, that like one. Did, I think it's supposed to. Did the did he sound insane in the yeah, audio? Yeah, it was like, like he was talking very quietly and very broken heartedly, and then we go right <laughs> back into it. It was like you were like after ten hours of holy, shit, this is depressing. You got that one firework of a moment, and, and it just feels so wrong. It's like, ugh. Yeah. It's it's just one of the many ways in which Glenn Cook purposely makes this book disconcerting. <laughs> yeah, disconcerting is a good word for it. Yeah. That 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 line in particular was. Um, but yeah, as far as Mergen goes, uh, I I do like him. Um, I I know a lot of Black Company fans actually really don't like Mergen. Really. Uh, yeah, and and some of the reasons are that he's just like crazy, and that he's a little like self-absorbed. 
makes me wonder if this is something um, you need context for the next uh, Mergen book. I mean, book there, there is more, you know, there is more in the next book. How many? Is there one um, or two or how many more books of Mergen? Uh, we'll, 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 we'll read <laughs> it and a find spoiler? Okay. Um, uh, but, but yeah, the, the fact is, like, Mergen is, as far as Black Company guys go, seems to be a pretty decent dude. You know, he he's he's yeah. a good enough person at heart that he makes a, a major impression on uh, the Nyung Bao that that Kai yes. Dam is willing to deal with him. I mean, he started with one. Mm-hmm. That's how that's how he in, he was introduced to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then he he goes and like saves half their family when he had no reason that he like he should have been more concerned with dealing with Mogaba like trying to stab the black company in the back, but he's like, no, I'm going to go help them. Uh, yeah. And, th- and then there's this returning note that every time, like something crazy shifts the foundation of their lives. Yeah. They're coming with mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. We heard that more than once. And, it just and like, and how willingly good. he just goes along and like helps Sarah change the baby, you know? And, and I don't know. There, there are these like moments of like quiet kindness that come out of Mergen and that we certainly yes. never get out of Lady. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah. I mean, like Croker's a good guy. Croker is mostly a good guy too. Although we we do see he's some. Bo- although this book is, I'm, he's my next character, and I'm gonna <laughs> jump on that. Yeah, the, the, this book changes our perspective on Croker. Shall we shift to Croker? Anything else about Mergen? Mm-mm. Okay. Okay. So I guess I'll start with Croker then. Um, I wrote down Croker was I mean, was I supposed to like him at all in this book? What a dramatic shift! He he feels suddenly so foreign. He's in a terrible mood all yeah. the time. But you know, I mean, honestly, he spent a lot of his time in the past fitting that description too, in addition, in an irritable mood. The clear difference is the depression following, obviously, what I assume is the loss of his yeah. daughter. His his humor now it feels darker. Oh yeah, he's gone from resigned irritation to concerningly serious, and a lot of his behavior, at least as it's betrayed by Morgan, revealing the nature of his confrontation with Blade and how he acted as a leader in general. Mm-hmm. That hurt to watch. And it was like Mergen put it. I felt embarrassed for this captain. It if if that was entirely accurate, I'm I'm kind of disappointed in the guy himself. I think he yeah. has an uh an obsession problem. That's a good way to yep. put it. Croker gets focused. He, uh, and, <laughs> Obsessive and, focus. And yeah. when he has you know, even when he doesn't have an emotional attachment to something, he can get focused on it. When he does, look out. I mean, the descriptions about the the Taglian war machine that that Croker has built, that Croker and Lady really have the built. numbers. Oh my gosh! Yeah, like the numbers that uh, that that uh, he spies in was it One Eyes mm-hmm, in his arsenal that Morgan yeah. spies using. Yeah, like oh my god. That was insane. Yeah, and, and he he does kind of laugh. He's like, some of those are just not happening. You know, some of those are yes. pipe dreams. <laughs> 500,000 glass bottles, something like 8,000 or 15,000 lances. Three like, million oh. arrows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, three million arrows. I'm like, are you serious? And then he also says that, like, uh, goblins, this is not all happening here. Goblins expecting Rena resources from other 
dedicated areas, but I was like, oh my god, this is insane. Mm-hmm. And and this is all, you know, this is all Croker. This is this is Croker's military genius. You know, we got a lot in the last couple books about how Croker isn't the best strategist, right? You know, he when when he has to think on his feet, when he doesn't have time to consult the annals and consult history and and play his illusions out and stuff, he's not a great field general. He's he's just not that good a strategist. Well, maybe not just surrounded but, by his betters like the lady. Well, but he's really good at figuring out who to delegate tasks to. He's Logistics. really good at organizing people, and he's really good at yep. motivating people. And we've seen yep. in four years, he has turned a peaceful fishing city into an all-out <laughs> military-industrial complex. <laughs> like, I'm starting to think that my comprehension of this book was better than I thought it was. Okay, sweet. Yeah, yeah. but okay, yeah. this doesn't make him a bad person. No, I, I don't. Well, no, for me it was his. It was it was played. how uh, Murian portrayed his confrontation and his explosion, his falling out, if you will, with uh, Blade, and how he had been treating guys. Mm-hmm. In the black company and and treating that professional relationship with that kind of personal uh i don't know mm-hmm. corruption that is his obsession with the lady and his jealousy of the lady i was like oh croaker that's not a good look for it's you, not dude. good but i find it refreshing that he's a humanized leader it does kind of humanize yes. him oh, yeah. yeah that's a good that's a good way to put it everybody has more humanizing in this book i just it wasn't the good kind of humanity that I saw in, in Croker in this book, so it kind mm-hmm. of disappointed me. No, and I totally understand that because you know Croker's the guy we got to know. He was our entrance to the series. Yeah, you know? I know. We spent four books. Interesting in his head, being removed basically. from his head. Um, and and before when we're completely removed from Croker, we still don't have a lot of context mm-hmm. for him. Like Morgan does, witnessing all of this. This is the first time we've been removed from Croker, and we're still seeing a lot yeah, of him. First person, first hand accounts. Whereas, you know, with yeah, uh, Lady, it's weird. Uh, she had to get but, uh, all of that information from Croker later on. She had to kind of take Croker at his word yeah. that he stayed loyal to her, you yeah. know, like I said last week. Oh! <laughs> Something I just, uh, I, I totally forgot to even write down. It just occurred to me as I was thinking about it. Uh, Croker kind of ironically. Uh, confirmed what I said last week when I said Croker, that old fart, surprised me. In this book, at one point, he literally calls himself an old fart. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, if this old fart can deal with this, the rest of the soldiers can do that as well. And I was like, holy shit, he said the exact same words. Yeah. I, I wasn't even remotely expecting that. He called himself an old fart like five days after I myself called him an old fart. So I, I want to ask you guys, at the end of this book, Croker's gearing up to march south. In the middle of winter. What do you think of that? Yeah, yeah. Why? There was a winter campaign. He was like, well, <laughs> that's where the scene came from. Oh, well, okay. I think now there's a little more revenge to motivate him to do these things. Well, it's been four years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but still. Okay, but no, I, thought, I thought you meant like. But no longer is it like up. just this mission to find the lost animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's more than that. That's like, I think it's secondary. I think at one point Mergen stops and, and realizes that had always been uh, Croker's initiative, but it's been kind of put on the back burner in favor of something more personal. Yeah. 
that he still wants, you know, he says Croker still has this insane desire to get to Katovar, but he yeah. never talks about it anymore. Yeah. I feel like uh, Croker has some massive disappointment headed his way. Yeah, he's Croker. I mean, that's another thing that I decided to remove from my style discussion, but I was like, nobody in this series ever gets what they want and everything always sucks. I th- you point out to me one person who gets what they want and they're content. Philodendron case. And that's what darling. I. Oh well, okay. I don't. I haven't finished the series, so I was like, I don't know. Maybe maybe they come back at some point. No, I, I yeah. Remember, Silver Spike ends the whole books of the North. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that okay. storyline's over. I just didn't know. Uh, ends the books of the North includes ending our story on Darling. I just didn't. know. Yeah, that. no. Like, that's why each time you're like, I don't buy that the limper's gone. I'm like, no, dude, the limper's gone. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. and uh, well, we also have so many other characters from the books of the North returning as well. So well, I was just but like, not, I didn't, not really I didn't anymore. Have the context. Not really anymore. We got we got Soulcatcher well, not after, and uh, uh, yeah, not after uh, Dreams of Steel. You're uh, saying yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, after Shadow Games. Cool. Okay. Um, Good to know. Good to yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, we we even got the scene with Otto and Hagop here, where they they went down the list. They're like, no, they're they're damn sure that Long Shadow is not another one of the Taken. Thank uh, God. And right. that, like, yeah, oh yeah, by the work. way, the Limper came back, but no, he is gone. He is totally. They made yeah, absolutely no. <laughs> sure. Of I like hearing that because I was gonna bring that up. I was gonna be like, yep, the Rob that was going into the White Rose or the Silver Spike would have loved hearing that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, I just my last point. For, I, I feel like. Go ahead. Croker is going to get to the end of this and realize that he's up and that I think Lady's probably going to massively disappointment disappoint him somehow. Okay. Okay. I w- that's awesome. I was just going to predict what I hope is coming for for Croker. I mean, I know he's probably still got miles of to wade through, you know, hip deep before he gets there. And at this point, I feel like he's going to die eventually. Like, his entire legacy begs retelling. Hmm. And that doesn't have the same impact if he's still alive when we finish this series. And also, as a side note, I really think he would get along with Matthew Wood Ringstover's own Kane. Croker? Oh, yeah, for sure. Saying. Or, or Harry Michelson, maybe. He'd probably get along with quite a bit. Yeah, I could see that. Uh. Do you think that he <laughs> will die before the last book? No. No, I don't think so. I think he will. He. I think he will die in Soldiers Live. That's the last book. Yes. But do you think we'll get a post mortem narrator after he's gone? That would be really cool. I don't know. I cu- I don't know. Actually, it's a really good point. I would still think not. I would still, I would still like, if I wanted him to die at all, which I don't. I still, I'm a, somewhat a fan of Croker. But um, Last Book is a great place to do it, if there is. Okay. That's a, that's a really interesting prediction. And that, honestly, like, kind of surprised me that you're bringing that up now. But that's cool. Why now? Cause, just because we're still three books from the end. Yeah, I'm, I'm, this is a prediction. I'm yeah, not, yeah, uh, but I, I just... Yeah, we're only like two-thirds of the way through the series, so... Yeah, he keeps calling himself an old fart, and I called him that last episode. <laughs> old farts die. That's all the evidence we need. That's what old. That's what an old fart does. He dies. <laughs> he dies. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you guys have any more characters to talk about? 
I have two small points about one eye and just one general point about the new okay, eye bow. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, so one eye. Uh-huh. Um, had some badass reading this one that I don't quite remember seeing before in the other books. Yeah, he still was, he still had moments of badass, but not quite in this way. This this spear that mm-hmm. he makes, that's just like, mm, it's f-ing cool. Yep. And I love that somewhere out there, it's still in play. I feel like, and this is the only other prediction that I have, one Eye's spear, since he's so desperate to get it, I think it's going to be important in some way. Yeah. Well, he did get it. Maybe just to him, He though. did. Maybe, he did like, somewhere it. at the end, he used it to save himself. But it could be just personal to him. I don't think it's, like anything to do with the main story well, necessarily but i feel like it has a bigger part to play at least yeah uh, i mean he did recover it you know he that was his first encounter did he yeah when he scrambled oh, shit, down the of wall that I... uh he got it from the horse and then as he was coming back uh lisa bullock tried to get him and he like stabbed her with it and she lost interest and oh Okay, hold on. I don't remember this scene happening. This must be in a scene that I that I had missed with my distractions. But I do remember him talking about this with Croker, yeah. I think, or Mergen. No, it's, it's Mergen. Fairly right? early on, yeah. Uh, so he, because you remember when okay, they remember they use it as like a ballista bolt, and and uh, Shadow Spinner like yeah. barely <laughs> okay. avoids it. Yeah. And then and then yeah. One Eye disappears during you know during the fighting in the city. One Eye is conspicuously absent. For a for a yeah, while. That's because he went and repelled down the outside wall and got his spear back. That's the uh, vision that Mergen yes. saw when he was going through smoke. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Got you. Okay. Um, but there's uh, last there's another uh, important thing I want to bring up about the spear, and this is where we get like one of the few points in the whole series that we get details about how the magic works. I and I think I may have mentioned this a little bit earlier on when we're talking about the spear here. Um, I shut him out. Goblin, any chance this will work? The runt's not exactly a heavyweight. It's workable, tactically, if he really worked that hard on it. Say One-Eye is an order of magnitude weaker than Shadow Spinner. That really only means that it takes him ten times as long to get the same work done. Yeah. So... I remember at one point, one of them was described as being like three orders of magnitude below uh, Long Shadow, or four orders of magnitude below Long Yeah, so, and then, and Mergen's like an order of magnitude, and then Goblin says, well, more like two orders, really, probably. But yeah. Yeah, so, Mm. so, one of the rules we have kind of established firmly here is that all of these wizards and, and, sorceresses and mages and whatever you want to call them, they can all do more or less the same things as long as they happen to knowledge. It just takes the weaker ones a lot longer. So, for instance, since we say one eye is two orders of magnitude weaker than Shadow Spinner, that take that means he, he takes a hundred times yeah. as long to uh, to do what Shadow Spinner can do. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if I like that, but I find it very interesting. Yeah. Um, my last point about One Eye. I loved his meeting, especially at first, of Mother Gota. <laughs> I was so hoping that we would have this hilariously awkward and eventually entertaining and heartwarming sort of pursuit between the two. But apparently all he wanted her for was to sick her on Goblin, which is kind of funny in its own way. But that was really disappointing for me. I was I remember hoping that that would turn around, but I don't 
remember reading anything more in that direction between those two. Nope, he has a thing. I will, I will make an explicit <laughs> read and find out and promise. You'll like where that goes. <laughs> as long as I'm not grossed okay. out. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because, like, there's something about this woman, even though she's oh, so she's despicable awful. and I hate her. I, I hate her so much. There's some part of me that trusts Cook to have a reason for this bitch. Oh, she's terrible. She's so awful. And speaking of speaking of Mother Gota, let's get my point about the Nguyen Bao out of the way. I liked these people. Not only were they interesting as hell, but they had, <laughs> outside of Mother Gota, some of the nicest people, you know? I don't know if it was the like the superb audiobook. Again, I say this a lot of the time. That colored my perspective here. Um, but the soft and concise sort of cultured accents that they're given really, really brings them to life. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of the speaker, Kai Dam, mm -hmm. and his first few interactions with Mergen, uh, like, I, like when they actually met, not when we first saw him. They were really, really engaging. And Sara just sounds like... A, a perf a perfect human being and it's cases like this where i love cook's dedication to character voice over 100 percent truthful text you know i just i kind of wish that device was special and rare not pervasive but like reading practically anything involving the new ang bao it was awesome uncle doge was a badass they were all interesting in their own ways you do have to remember, a lot of it's from Mergen's perspective, so it's colored by what he thinks. Right. But it's still true. Right. They're definitely good people. That's what I meant by, like, <laughs> I, this is where I like Cook's dedication to that voice of the character, perhaps, over what really happened. Mm -hmm. You know? Because, obviously, this is very, very colored and filtered by Mergen's love and his, for, for Sara and, and, and her relatives and his people. You know? Oh. They are really, really... I, I yeah, love reading. He does a, a phenomenal job of showing... In a very short space, um, just how much Mergen loves Sara. You know, we, we yeah. really only get to see them together for what? Three, four chapters? You know, before mm -hmm. the Deceiver raid? Like, it, well, I, I guess it's probably more like 10 or 11 chapters because these are really short chapters. But uh, but it, it, yeah. it's a very s small space that we get to see their relationship grow. And I will also uh, say when uh, Bondo Trong shows up to like try to let Mergen know and he gives the like cryptic message and Mergen's Mergen just like spouts some gibberish back at him. <laughs> I love that. He's like six songbirds over the hill. And he's like, what? <laughs> oh. yeah. But no, I, as far as the young Bao go, like as a, as a people, I love how much they're this just total wild card. Nobody really knows how to <clears throat> handle them. Nobody knows how to deal with them. And I love how they work really hard at keeping that mystery. Where, you know, they, they just spontaneously forget how to speak Taglian. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I loved, loved near the end when we see Cordy Mather just like, he knows, he knows Nyung Bao. So does Croker. And Croker knows about the, the Path of the Sword. 
and and he you know he's like acting all like clumsy and dumb and letting Uncle Doge show him. And then he's just like, ah yes, the mark of this young Bao swordmaster. And Doge is like, give me that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I I will say this that that reminded me of one one more criticism I had Ooh. if I were to search for one here. Um, characters in this series just seem to pick up languages like they see interesting flowers at the side of the sidewalk and they just cut one. You know, it's like Croker, at one point, he I think he says Croker knows over 20 languages. And I'm well, like, okay, Croker's a, humanly possible. Yeah, Croker's a, like a language savant. That guy's crazy good. Right, but it seems like every single character in this entire <laughs> series speaks at least three or four. Um, uh, like maybe conversation. And they seem to pick it up with very minimal time and effort. It's just, it seems a little bit I mean, I think that may just be that... because they don't spend a lot of time, like, dwelling on learning it. But, like, I mean, you look at Mogaba, the dude can barely speak Taglian. He can barely get through the Jewel City's language. The kitty. You know. Oh. I... I just, I just noticed your kitty up there. He just like ran up there and like I just, I, I couldn't focus on anything else but that cat sitting on top um, of that cabinet there. That's adorable. I just see his little head and his little mm -hmm. ears. Yeah, and then there. like even Mergen at certain points, it's easy to think that Mergen is just like picks it up easily and he's fluent, but he remarks at points where he's like, uh, "This random young bow guy speaks better Taglian than I do," you know. Uh, oh sure. You know, so yeah. It's, I, I understand the criticism there, and I understand, like, how you can get there, but I think I think it's not as easy as it is made out to be, just because they don't dwell on it. Um, and, and you also have Maybe. to think about the circumstances these guys live in. They don't have any choice but to learn another language. True. Like, I mean, I think of, uh, you know, like, like Russian or Swedish hockey players who get drafted and come over to play in the NHL and they got to learn English, you know? Yeah. I, I fully, like I fully understand that there are people who can pick up languages extremely easy yeah. depending on how early you start as a, as a child. And it's possible. It's definitely humanly possible. It just, it seems to me like too many characters pick up languages too easily. And it's just like no big deal. But then again, you're right. It could just be because they don't dwell yeah. on it. It's not like a huge part of it. Yeah, their... and and because we we don't yeah. see um, a lot of the day to day, and because this is like a transliteration of what actually happened, those conversations, a lot of the conversations are probably like really broken, and you know, like, oh, what's that word again? Uh, how do I say this? And like, yeah, this is being translated mm -hmm. later. I don't and and they right. talk about how sometimes they'll like throw in a Forsberger word because they don't know the Taglian word, or you know, yeah, yeah, so stuff like that. Um, uh, yeah, but I do think Croker is a full-on like language savant. The dude is, oh yeah, he's special. Oh yeah. There's some... Yeah. I fully agree with that. Because I mean, they were only in, like, the jungles... languages. Uh, when they were traveling south, they were only in, like, the jungles of Dalak Alak for, like, a couple months. And by the end of it, he knew enough of the language to, like, eavesdrop on one eye and Weezer. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so, I, I'm done with my character points. Okay. I have a couple just general story points that I want to talk about. Um, okay. Well, first off, this is the first book of Glittering Stone, and we learned a little more about Glittering Stone in this one. The those sort of interlude 
scenes have continued. There were a lot more of them in this book. And we know there's a fortress out there. What do we think of that? I don't even... I can't even be... like. My comprehension of this book was so low <laughs> in hindsight. Like, I don't even want to put forward a prediction about that. I mean, what worse could it be than what we dealt with in Shadows Linger? Ooh. I don't know about that. Well, I mean, we have, I mean, I we have a, a giant God. figure nailed to a giant throne in it with silver <laughs> daggers that appears to be uh, yeah. uneasily sleeping. Yeah, I don't even want to. I, I I I honestly honestly <laughs> I I hesitate okay. to predict. Okay. We're getting zombies. I think I said that last time. Oh, we're getting zombies. Yep. Well, we did kind of get zombies in this one uh, with the it storms. It is a death cult, and they do worship death. That's true. And corruption. Yeah, there was like the the Kina. like power, the ley lines, that how there was sending. Kina. That oh, yeah, well. Reminds me of Kali in Hinduism. Oh. Just with yes. her, like, huge figure. I play a lot of Smite, and that reminds me of Kali with her four arms yeah. and all these blades. That's exactly... Goddess yeah, of death. That's, uh, Kadi really is more the, the Kali direct comparison. Because if you remember, uh, I brought up, like, with the religions... Hold on. Is that a thing? Is that actually... Yeah, so like, the Guni are essentially Hindus. The Shadar are Sikh... And the Vedna are Muslim. Oh my god, the Guni are vegetarians, dude. Yeah. Aren't they? Yeah. And and they have sacred cows. Uh, you know, they have this whole pantheon of gods. Um, I mean... Are you shitting like me? Ev even some of the names are, like, specifically, like, close to... But Kadi and Kali are the death, you know, the death goddesses. You just blew my mind. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and like, yeah, the sh the Shadar are Sikhs, and they wear their turbans and the the colorful silks, and yeah. Um. And and the Vedna, the Vedna women, uh, Islam. Yep. They only <laughs> only the married women ever go outside, Holy and shit, they they wear right um, uh, you know, head to toe, uh, like burkas. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember what they call them in, in this, in this book, but, but yeah. Oh my God. The, Taglios is very much inspired by India and even the deceivers. The deceivers are a real cult. Dude, they have. There is a real strangler cult elephants. in India. What? What, yes. really? Oh God. <laughs> I guess you do learn something new every yeah. day. Uh, let me let me pull this up real. What? Real quick. The f um, <laughs> and 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 you're gonna hear the name. Uh, they're called the Thuggy. Um, the Thuggy. Yeah. T h u g g e e. Um. Uh. First organized thugs, gangs organized of professional thugs. robbers and murderers. Uh, the English word thug traces its roots to the Hindi thag, which means swindler or deceiver. Related words are the verb thugna, <laughs> to deceive. You know, this term describing the I'm murder and robbery Robert of Jordan travelers. I'm from this. He really, he really dove deep into... Yeah. Um, Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. So, and uh, they, they used a strangling handkerchief. 
to... Oh, my God. Yeah. So. Okay. That's f***ing cool. Yeah. Um, cool. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, here's your lore. Um, but I wanted to kind of rewind back to something I mentioned earlier about how Croker's single-mindedness has transformed Taglios by this point. Now, you remember in Shadow Games, when Croker's like, you know, I'm going to spend some time telling you about Taglios because we ended up spending a lot more time there than we anticipated. And so much of Taglios, so much of the Taglian worry in, in the palace is that even, even allying themselves with the Black Company and defeating the Shadow Masters may destroy Taglios worse than if the Shadow Masters won. And, and we are at least seeing some serious change to the culture. This was a peaceful people who knew no war, and now we've got, like, bloodthirsty priests whipping up hordes of soldiers right. to go try to kill Blade. Like, yeah. And soldiers being trained in ridiculously fast times. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I like what yeah. this is, because in a certain sense, you know, there's, there's a trope. There's a fairly common trope, you know, that... That gets a lot of criticism nowadays. You know, the white savior, where where there's like a more advanced, uh, more skilled white character who comes in and saves the primitives. You know, Avatar, for instance, the the blue people Avatar, not uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender, the James Cameron Avatar. Okay. Where the white dude comes in and joins the tribe, but also is the one who like saves them, right? We're seeing almost well, the opposite it, of he it. He does here. it as part of the tribe, though. Yeah, okay, yeah. We're sorry, seeing almost the opposite of it here. Where the white guys from the north with the more advanced, you know, knowledge and skills are coming in and they are not necessarily saving the people. They're doing Yeah, you know, they're they're doing some pretty bad bad stuff. So they were probably right to be afraid of the black company to begin with? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. And we also get more hints here that the Black Company originally had some very dark antecedents. What, like well, the yeah, NAR or the true in, uh, Black the Company? Last book as well. Uh, they're not the true Black Company because, I mean, we have enough information here that's like they even perverted, you know, they went off their own twist from the original tradition. Sorry, that was the NAR? But, yeah, the NAR. Yeah, yeah. But aren't they like closer to yeah, it? Yeah, because they worship the... Kina. And the the heavy yeah. implication here that's is that so... the original Black Company were Kina worshippers. That's dis that's so disturbing. Yeah, that's unsettling. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I am ready to go into my three favorite scenes. Uh, yeah. How about you guys? I think I am. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. All right. I'll start. I'll start. Number three. With Mergen saying, Listen up, people. We're going to save our fearless dickhead leader. <laughs> that line just bled Croker. And, I, and not really in an imitative way, although there is some of that, but in a way where you can hear the teacher through the student. It was funny. It was familiar. It was almost heartwarming in a way, in a, in a really, really weird way. I had to stop and write it down. I stopped and wrote it down at first, just for mention later, but it stuck with me, so I ended up on this list. My my third favorite, listen up, people, we're going to save our fearless dickhead. <laughs> Very nice. Jared? So, my number three was... 
I don't know if it was the intention or not, <clears throat> but the scene when one eye runs back out to retrieve his spear. Mm -hmm. I was laughing out loud reading that. Yeah. Like some of these, uh, like there he goes trotting toward the dead stallion. He wants his spear back. And maybe that does make some crazy sense. He worked hard making it. He's just so flippant about it. Yeah. yeah. Morgan, as he's describing it. Yeah. It's there. There's like a, in my mind, I see like you know one of those old timey, like early turn of the century, nineteen hundreds movies of mm -hmm. like you know barely avoiding disaster, like jumping off a train and like having a ladder fall over you, but you go <laughs> through the rungs, you know that kind of a thing. And I then... had that image of like one eye like climbing down the rope and like scuttling across the lawn, like. <laughs> And then he gets to the end of it, and he just says, no one notices, no one cares. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, yes. my third favorite scene is uh, mostly just for the pure spectacle of it, and that is when uh, Soulcatcher and Croker show up for the first time outside of Dejigore, when Shadow Spinner is creating this giant shadow web. This this green glowing, like this is where we find out that Shadow Spinner, like why he has his name, right? There's this like like warp and woof going on of shadows weaving in and out, and then this like diamond that's about to like pull it and drape the whole thing over the city, and and everybody's mm. just like we're dead, you know, <laughs> and then <laughs> oh hey we're yeah. dead. <laughs> <laughs> like everybody just stops. Wow. So like in the middle of a pitch battle, everybody just stops and looks at it, and they're like, Whoop. you know, like what I am goblin. You know, Bergen's asking them. He's like, all right, what are we gonna do? And they're like, dude, this is way beyond our pay grade. What are we gonna do? We're gonna go downstairs. We're gonna put on some anti shadow candles. We're gonna get a keg of beer, and we're gonna play some tonk. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I just loved the. Relatable. The tension and the spectacle of the scene juxtaposed with the, the banter of the Black Company. That's what I... That, the, that kind of thing is the yeah. core of this series in a lot of ways. Yeah. This is the look I imagine them having on their faces right here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Peace out. We're dead. The, the, what's like the, the SpongeBob <laughs> meme where he's like, I, I'm out. <laughs> I, I'm out. <laughs> He stands up off yeah. the chair. Exactly. That's a proper millennial joke to make. <laughs> so, uh, my second favorite scene. And this is hard to say, but the strike on the palace Ooh. by the deceivers. Yeah. Um, as heartbreaking as it was, I felt it was it was just masterfully done. The sudden nature in which it arrives, and then we have this frantic, almost dreamlike quality of discovering the horrors of what transpired in the murder of Sarah and her infant son, like, god damn. And how much context it lends to Morgan for his character development going forward. This this personal, heartbreaking look at the grieving Nyongbao family and all around the humanity that it brings out of everybody. It's just beautiful. It, those were some incredible few yeah, pages. I, I liked... When I was reading... 
that scene. You know how in movies sometimes where they they'll have like some big dramatic explosion and then there's kind of a slow motion scene. Silence. Yep. After yeah. it, where there's just like ringing or something. Mm-hmm. That's how I envision. Yes. That. Yes. Yeah. And I I also really liked the one touch where like, uh, Goda Mother Goda comes out with a pot of tea, and he's like you know young uh, young bao woman. When when they're when they're stressed, they make tea. Yes. This might be, be the tea. worst day of her life. It would be a good pot. You know. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. That is so. Yeah. Yeah. He managed to do something in like five words. It would be a good pot. Six words. That was. Yeah. Insane. Hits you. So, yeah. Jared, what's your number two? So my second was when Mergen is going down to the into the bowels of the palace um, to discover the stolen mm-hmm. annals, and he's kind of he's walking through all these passages that have had like confusion spells placed on them, and there are still some deceivers like lost and gone crazy down there just wandering around oh yeah Yeah. like that was super spooky yeah that's some haunted house right there (laughs) and then (laughs) that's some haunted house and then he's leaving and like starts 2020 like he finds the 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 dead one and then he's leaving and starts to hear like more like scuttling in the background yeah he he just noped directly out of there (laughs) he noped directly out of there (laughs) Uh, yeah, that that is a that is a really good scene. Um, Drew. So my second favorite. It it should not be a surprise to anybody at this point. I'm gonna read this. this. Is the very end of the book. The stars wink down in cold irony. There is always a way. The wind whines and howls with bitter breath through fangs of ice. Lightning snarls and barks upon the plain of glittering stone. Rage is a red, near-animate force, as bloated with compassion as a starving serpent. Few shadows frisk among the stelae. Many have been summoned, there or yon. At its heart, the plain is disfigured by the scars of cataclysm. A jagged lightning bolt of a fissure has ripped across the face of the plain. Nowhere is that fissure so wide that a child could not step across, but it seems bottomless. Trailers of mist drift forth. Some bear a hint of color when they emerge. Cracks mar the surface of the great gray stronghold. A tower has collapsed across the fissure. From the fastness comes a deep, great, slow beat like that of a grumbling world heart, disturbing the silence of stone. The wooden throne has shifted sideways. It has tilted a little. The figure nailed thereon has changed its sprawl. Its face is drawn in agony. Its eyelids flutter as though it is about to awaken. This is immortality of a sort, but the price is paid in silver of pain. And even time may have a stop. Yes. No one can deny that he's poetic. That's what I mean. It's it's like, I what I want is an entire <laughs> book or novella or or anthology even 
of this. I would pay top dollar for that. That would be something. Yeah. But so for me, I actually like that it's not all like that. Because when he does these things, it makes them more special. It makes them stand out. And, and, uh, they are special. Yeah. And especially how in this book, he starts doing this repeated thing. You know, previously in the last two books, we had the same scene with like subtle word changes at the end of Shadow Games and uh, Dreams of Steel. This one throughout the book, we get several like fragments of a full scene that are like that slightly overlap and have those changed words. And then this at the end is where we get like kind of the full thing with the added context of the earthquake and the, the crack through the, the plane of glittering stone. It, it just, mm. it's, it's phenomenal writing. And nice. I will have you know, nice. That was not my favorite. That was my second. I'm favorite. surprised. Yeah, I, I realize that <laughs> we're coming up to your favorite. That, that's why I'm surprised. I'm like, Holy <laughs> shit. Okay. Rob, um, yours for my favorite. Yeah, for my very favorite scene, I once again have a quote, and it's very similar to Drew's. Incessant wind sweeps the plain. It mutters across gray pavements that sweep from horizon to horizon. It sings around scattered black pillars, a chorus of ghosts. It tumbles leaves and scatters dust come from afar. It teases the hair of a corpse that has lain, undisturbed for a generation, mummifying. Impishly, the gale tosses a leaf into the cadaver's silently screaming mouth, tugs it away again. The wind carries the breath of winter. Lightning leaps from pillar to ebon pillar like a child skittering from base to base in a game of tag. For a moment, there is color on that spectral plane. The pillars might be mistaken for relics of a fallen city. They are not. They are too few and too randomly placed. Nor has a one ever fallen though many have gnawed deeply by the teeth of the hungry wind. Ah. Uh, yep. <laughs> I yep. mean, just... Yeah. I don't know what else to say about that. God. I, I, I cannot wait for us to... to get further into this I series. I love this image of this spectral plane with these very basic shades... And, and a lack of, just of saturation, and then for a few brief moments, life, color, forgotten. It's just, oh my f***ing God. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. This whole glitter and stone okay, business better live up to expectations, that's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> it better. Jared's out on the warpath. Quality assurance. I, I think it does. I will say that. I think it does. <laughs> All right, Jared, your favorite scene. All right, so don't judge me too harshly, but my favorite was when um, Uncle Doge is oh, he's so taking um, Mergen down to witness firsthand what Mogaba and his mm-hmm. crew have been doing. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. that's not where I thought you were going with that. <laughs> Absolutely gruesome. Even though you knew it was coming, yeah, it's it still hits you, which I you, think is part of what makes it, it really coming, good. But you didn't know, you right? Just didn't exactly. know. 
like I just I love the line that's in here where he's like, but most of us still appreciate horror if horror is there. Yep. Horror was yeah. there. Yes. Yes. That line. <laughs> so I I seriously considered having this as one of my top three uh, because of that line. That line is so good. <laughs> I don't know how you read that and not have some sort of reaction to that scene. A little bit of spooky. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I guess the my pattern is I loved the spooky, which fits well yeah. for if we are saying this is the most grim dark, right? Yes, for sure. This is the darkest, I would say, definitely. Yeah, I think either this or Shadows Linger is the darkest book, but I think this one takes the cake. I mean, <clears throat> oh, Shadows Linger is dark, dark for different reasons. Yeah, yeah, Shadows Linger is more like intimate like dark depths of the soul with Marin shed this is more like dark as in yeah. the grim realities of horrible war you know yeah mm-hmm. but uh agreed so drew your favorite scene my dude this for for anybody uh who's a patreon supporter this should come as no surprise fragments just blackened fragments crumbling between my fingers. Browned page corners that reveal half a dozen words in a crabbed hand, their context no longer known. All that remains of two volumes of the annals. A thousand hours of labor. Four years of history. Gone forever. Or are they? I do not want to go back. I do not want to relive the horror. I do not want to reclaim the pain. There is pain too deep to withstand right here, right now. There is no way to recapture the totality of that awfulness anyway. The mind and heart, safely over to the farther shore, simply refuse to encompass the enormity of the voyage. And there is no time. There is a war on. Always, there is a war on. Uncle Doge wants something. Just as well to stop now. Teardrops make the ink run. He's going to make me drink some strange filter. Fragments. All around. Fragments of my work, my life, my love, and my pain scattered in this bleak season. And in the darkness, shards of time. I have tears in my eyes right now. It's quite the opening. Can confirm. I, it really like to is. open it that way. It's what like it's what an opening move. Incredible writing. Simply incredible writing. The you know, Rob's Rob's mentioned it before, you know, with with Dreams of Steel, with the Book of Lady, you know, some of the Croker books. Glenn Cook knows how to open a book. He really knows how to oh open a book. God. You can't yeah. I you can't argue that. And and I wish I could say he does it better in one of the last three here, but I don't think he does. This This is the best opening chapter. He's he's done. It, I've heard you read the passage before, and I've been intrigued, and now I've reached it. And I will say, I actually have listened to at least part of the audio of this book because I wanted to hear the delivery on this page and he does a good yeah. job 
he doesn't get the inflections exactly the way I think of them, but he does a really good job. He's he's got the gravity. Jonathan Davis. The the the, yeah. the melancholy in his voice. He does. He definitely like, does. So So yeah. In the darkness, shards right. of time. Shall we head into the final we draft? We shall. Gentlemen. Okay. Rob, do you want to kick it off? So, I'll All kick right. it off. I'll kick it off. So, <laughs> some guys used rope for belts. Some wore sandals made of rope. Hemp is commonplace everywhere. Some fools <laughs> like one eye smoke even it. smoke it. <laughs> So what I brought along here is some homegrown, hand-rolled Obi-Wan Kush. I'm I'm not doing that today. I'm totally joking. What I'm bringing on now is a brew that I've brought on once before. I don't remember how long ago. Actually, I do remember how long ago. This was Oathbringer Part 3, I want to say. This is a double IPA from Flying Monkeys Craft Brewery. And, you know, typical of an IPA. It's pretty hoppy, especially double IPA. Not not as bitter as I would expect for a double. Very pleasant, poor appeal. It's it's you know, it's very very nice. It looks like a creamsicle when you pour mm-hmm. it. Um, citrus, as you'd hope, nice and strong. Especially with ABV, it's actually what is it? Six point two, I want to say. Where is it? Eight point two. Oh, good mm, lord. There you go. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, not gonna lie, I've been tempted to buy it again. Uh, since I, I uh, featured it last, and it really, really stepped up to the plate again. It was awesome. So for today, I am bringing a double IPA, <laughs> and it is called Dedicated to Mergen, of course, and its particular uh, disaster in this book, Adventures in Time Surfing. <laughs> oh, yes. Nice. Yes. I brought it on for Dalinar's flashbacks in Oathbringer Part 3, but I decided, you know what, it fits a little better. Wait, in can here. you hold up that can again? It's so psychedelic. I remember so this. so weird. So. Adventures in time surfing. Yep. <laughs> I remember this beer. Very nice. Nice it's one. Delicious. Now, I, I'm, I, have, delicious. I have two beers, so I'm going to do one of them, and then Jared, you can go. And then I'll okay. do my second. Sweet. All right. So, uh, my first beer is from True Brewing Company in Denver, Colorado. Uh, long-time listeners of the podcast will know I've brought some beers on from them before. And uh, and maybe they'll remember that True kind of specializes in, like, wild fermentation beers. Uh, and, and this is just such one of those. Uh, it is a Sour India Pale Ale, brewed in collaboration with the Rare Barrel out of California. And... Mm. Uh, and this thing, I mean, you know, you can look at that. That's a, it's a hazy, hazy sour IPA. It looks like fly, like Adventures in Time. It surfing. is, it is, I will say not super sour, but very funky. Tastes very wild. And uh, my first sip of it wasn't a huge fan, but as I've sipped through this over the course of the episode, I, I've grown to like it a lot. It's a it's an acquired yeah. taste. Um, but I've had this can for this is one of those I've had for like over a year. When I saw it, I was like, oh, I boy. need to grab it. And I wish this particular thing in the Black Company were more important. 
Um, but uh, unfortunately, it's it's just mentioned a lot, and uh, it's a place. We have three main cities in the Shadowlands. We have Stormguard, formerly known as Dejagore, formerly known as Jayakur. Uh, oh we have Shadowcatch, oh, no. formerly known as Kiolun, and we have oh, no. Shadowlight. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say Overlook. Uh, Shadowlight. Holy crap! No, over, it, Overlook is way more important than, than Shadowlight. <laughs> I'm assuming it's a reference to the Haze, I guess. Yeah. Um, so so when I saw that, I was That's like, awesome. I gotta... I was like, I, I didn't even know when we were going to do the Black Company when I saw that beer. I was like, I just... I need to grab it and stuff it in the back of my fridge. Well, what else are you... <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, oh, and Holy I didn't crap. say the ABV. Very what nice. the ABV on this? 5.5. Not too bad. Not too shabby. Yeah. Not too shabby. All right. Jared? So Jared. I went with one from Breckenridge Brewery in Colorado, and it's their Vanilla Porter. Mm. Vanilla. What Very do you think good. of it, Jared? Yeah. yeah. It's up my alley. Um, yeah, that's good. Hmm. I know uh, my, my wife has a bottle of their... Uh, bourbon barrel aged vanilla porter in the fridge. It's been in there Ooh. again for forever because it's stuffed way in the back and we keep forgetting about it. You guys are animals. <laughs> How do you keep beer for that long? Because <laughs> there's. You don't even want to know how much beer there is in my condo. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> you have no <laughs> idea. We, okay, today we're yep. recording this on Black Friday. I spent. Is it? Is yeah, it really? I spent most of today. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I got up early to do an online bottle sale from Cerebral Brewing Company. Got five bottles of barrel-aged stouts. <laughs> then we went, we drove to Loveland, Colorado, picked up six cans of a cognac double barrel-aged barley wine from a brewery there. Then we drove back to a bar in Fort Collins, got two bottles of Medianoches from Weldworks, barrel-aged stouts. Then we drove out to Greeley, uh, where we went to Wiley Roots, where we got uh, four cans of their new release, uh, Barrel Age Stout, in collaboration with Ren House in Phoenix, Arizona, Jared. Um, and then we went over to Weldworks and picked up four more bottles of Barrel Age Stouts that we bought in a, uh, an online sale a couple weeks ago. Holy yeah. shit. There is so much, and, and that's that's not even a dent. <laughs> We don't have room for most of what we just got. So so the bottles are going in like the, the dark, cool corner of our master closet. <laughs> I think I brought in something from Ren House on a previous episode. I can't remember, though. Yeah, I, I've, I've never been there. I've never had any of their beer. So I'm really excited about this Wiley Roots collaboration with them. Sweet. But uh, All right. But yeah, so my final beer. Your final beer. Uh, I, I did not originally plan on bringing this on, uh, and I kind of noticed it in the fridge today, and I was like, oh my gosh, I, I need to bring on two. This is from Junkyard Brewing Company in Moorhead, Minnesota. It is an Imperial Stout, a, a, a an Imperial Rocky Road Stout. So, you know, think... Chocolate, marshmallow, uh, nuts. Yes. Like, 
And my okay. goodness, this beer is good. It is so tasty. My goodness. Uh, so it is a stout with toasted black walnuts, cocoa powder, cocoa nibs, and natural marshmallow flavor. How do you get natural marshmallow flavor? <laughs> do, yeah, do what is marshmallows a marshmallow grow they, on they trees? They pluck a marshmallow yeah. tree? What the <laughs> f***? Exactly. What do they do it up in Minnesota? <laughs> um, I'm trying God. to find if there's an ABV on this. The label is black on black. Could so you imagine it's like, a marshmallow bush? It's really hard to read. Um, you planting those all year? 11.6%. <laughs> Oof. Holy crap. Yeah. And now I will I will draw your attention back to my third favorite scene when Shadow Spinner, in the dead of night, unleashes his master uh his master stroke, his his crazy shadow web. This beer is called Midnight Spider. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, that hits the spot though. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Nice. That was a snipe. I was I, I was very happy when I opened the fridge and I was kind of rearranging some things and I saw I was like oh, I need nice. to bring that on. Nicely yeah. done. Very so, nice. So, uh, do we have any final thoughts on Bleak Seasons or shall we uh, wrap up? I didn't like it too much, but I have trust in Glenn Cook at this point. Okay. For me, it feels like Crossroads of Twilight, where. Oh. It might be, yeah, yeah. Oh, I could see that. Interesting. I could see that. I do like that. A lot of setup. Well, you would probably appreciate it more on a second read through. Well, uh, that is a really, really astute comparison. And I would just like to draw your attention to how good Knife of Dreams is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So, all right. Uh, on that note, this has been episode ninety-nine of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Mm. Next up, episode one hundred, we will be covering the first fifty-seven chapters of She Is the Darkness. Uh, since the last three Black Company books are a little longer, we're going to be doing two episodes each. So keep your eyes peeled for that. As always, if you want to support the show, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. Uh, you can get early access to episodes, our monthly newsletter, monthly short fiction, bonus episodes, all kinds of fun stuff. So consider supporting the show there. I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here. And our uh, regular quality assurance manager, Jared. Thank you so much. Hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jared Livingston, ladies and gentlemen. Heck yes. Now I'm already thinking about what I'm going to give him next week. <laughs> oh boy. I'm, I'm excited. Is he going to get demoted again? Is he going to get promoted? Is it going to be a lateral transition? I don't know. Depends what you think yeah. of the quality of Pretty soon it's going to be like Cupbearer Jared. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> tune in next week to find out what title Jared gets. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. See you guys. Bye.